joining Hunkering Down with Peter Schorsch is one of my best friends in the process, even though he is on the other side of the aisle. Um, and he probably has to apologize a lot to his Democratic friends for my behavior from time to time, if not all the time. Um, our man in Tallahassee, Kevin Kate, how are you? I'm doing very well and I'm in good company apologizing for your actions, I'm sure. <laughs> That's everybody. That's just, um, I like it actually when like I work back with people where I'm like, like Sarah Baskin gets lumped into this all the time where she will get blamed for leaking me stuff, oh, even though God. I know she is not the person. Uh, I know. Oh, I know. Like, welcome to my world. And what I what's so funny about like the whole leaking stuff is I've been doing comms for uh, I don't know how many years since two thousand five five ish. So many years, I've never once unintentionally leaked something. Anytime you leak something as a comp professional, professional, it is on purpose and it is with your approval of your client. Otherwise, you will never have another client. Literally, if you do one wrong thing or uh, make some sort of comment that wasn't authorized, like you'll never have another job. But the amount of times I get accused of leaking you stuff um, gives me heartburn. Um, it's like I have no other sources. Um, you know, it's like it, it, it is kind of amazing to me um, how often my friends get blamed for it. And in fact, what upsets me is actually, and you and I have had these conversations sometimes, I'll get pissed at you for you not leaking to me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm such a bitter little man. I was actually remembering in 2014, there was something where, which actually people don't know this. So I go back. I was one of the original people that got you a Capitol Press Corps yes. um, badge. And that was in 2008 or nine or something like that. Ten. People gave me all kinds of help for that because I guess there weren't a lot of people signing signing up for that. Uh, and in 2014, there was some like weird something that had leaked about the Christ campaign, and I literally on a conference call was like, "Guys, this we're running for governor. Like, we have to give it to a network." Like, I love Peter, but he's not a network television, you know, whatever it was. Right. Literally. Two minutes later, you called me with exactly what I had said on that conference call, <laughs> reading me for not giving you and saying that you were just, you know, a blog compared to a network television. The, you know, I will say my life is so much easier uh, without Mark Caputo doing Playbook. Um, and that isn't just for the usual reasons on Caputo hating. He, he was so competitive. Like, Dixon is competitive and find out are competitive and they get good scoops and stuff like that. But Mark is a special brand of competitive where like he, and I, and I have now become Mark where he will say to people, you have clearly made a decision to give this to somebody else. Don't try to now give it to me because the other person you tried to give it to didn't write it the way you wanted or whatever. And he will just not cover your story. Like that's the worst part of it. So like he'll give you'll have like a re, you'll have Charlie Crist's ten million dollar fundraising month, and if you don't give it to Mark, he'll he would pretend like it didn't happen, and he'll circle back like three days later with something like, um, as Chris continues to struggle to fundraise, and you're like, God damn it! I mean that guy is so mean. And so um, I, I've I, I've adopted some of that now. <laughs> good. 
to say about Mark Caputo. I have nothing but good things to say about Mark Caputo. Right. I know. I know. It's, I, I, I noticed he was back kind of like on Corona coverage and I'm like, oh shit, here it goes. And he instantly is able to, I forgot what stories it was, but it was like last week and he was able to get, see, I've always thought Mark had the best job, like covering national politics from a Miami perspective. To me, that was kind of like being the London bureau chief for the New York Times. You get to be the, 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 the American expat. You don't have to like deal with the office politics and you're your own kind of, not boss, but you're your own, um, you're, you're your own outpost. And um, so when he started covering the Democratic primary, I was just like, God, that is just, Mark Caputo in Iowa is just such a, a mismatch. Not that he didn't have great coverage of the primary, um, um, but it was just like, I just think that he, that is just such a perch um, and so when he came back last week for a few Corona stories, um, that's when my hackles get up because I'm worried that he's going to come back in and, you know, start stealing all my scoops. So for the audience's edification. Hey, that, that brings me to my next question on Kevin Cates hunkering down with my guest, Peter George. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is basically a podcast that gives me a reason to talk about things that I care about. Uh, <laughs> and people to listen and, and for me to listen. Who are you? What are you doing right now? Uh, what am I doing right now? I mean, I have uh, client work that I'm doing. Obviously, I just came off of Tom Steyer's presidential campaign. Um, I am not doing social media for any politicians right now. I've, um, so that's why you see me tweeting more of my own content. <laughs> my own content. I don't have to give all the good stuff away uh, to anybody. Uh, so that's good. And then I'm uh, reading and playing with my family and hanging out with my wife and enjoying all the things that um, I'm very privileged to enjoy. Is that what this is, by the way? Oh, well, first of all, let me ask, because I do love your family. And um, on not just one occasion, which the anniversary of which had just occurred, which was when we were had a fire. And I've all, I've always tell that story about how we had a house fire. We went to a hotel and then the next day, miraculously breakfast got ordered uh, by Kevin Kate and delivered. And I was just like, God, this is the nicest human being ever. Uh, but then even when during the last hurricane, when we evacuated to Southwood, um, I, you, you and your family were so kind to like spend the day with us, even though we weren't staying with you and just be gracious hosts at the pool. And Ella had girls that she could play with and um, you were always kind there. So um, how is I'd like, your- I'd like to think if you lived in Tallahassee, you wouldn't be a North Sider that you would live here in Southwood. <laughs> you know, that's a good question. So like after Irma, like Michelle's like, oh, I could get used to this. I like Southwood. And I'm like, honey, I write about these people every day. So like when we're riding around in our golf cart and I've called Kevin Kate, a son of a bitch because he's done X or David Ramba or whatever. And there are neighbors um, you're, and you get penalized for that. Um, you're, you're, you're not going to like that. So, um, but I would be, let me think, see, I think I would probably go the opposite way. If I were to live in Tallahassee, I'd probably uh, try and carve out a little bit of land uh, out in uh, Havana with uh, Bradshaw and Dover and stuff like that so that you could, take advantage of the, the the natural beauty that is North Florida. I'll allow it. Um, 
So how is the uh, how is the Kate clan, by the way? How is your family adjusting to this hunkering down period? Uh, we're adjusting. We had our birthday party for our nephew, my brother's son, Colton, yesterday. It was a birthday parade where us and the neighbors and everybody did a little parade down the street uh, for him. So that was cute. My uh, oldest is one book away from finishing, or one and a half books away from finishing the Harry Potter series. So we're very excited about that. My uh, youngest, Edison, is loving video games, and my middle child is being um, what middle child, you know, what a middle child is, which is the greatest, most sweetest, lovable, entertaining little girl ever. So we're uh, good. We're how what is the reading competition like in the Kate household? I mean, is it? I mean, is there a quota system? Um, I mean, is there is there, is there is there disciplining? I mean, I kind of imagine you as like the the leader of the Cobra Kai dojo, except 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 in a reading sense, like you know, uh, not reading is for the weak, and you slam down a book or something like that. Listen, listen, I'm the son of a television anchor who, when I used to try to get under his skin, I would just say, all you do is to read the newspaper to lazy people. So <laughs> how young did you say that to him, though? Like, it was that, you know, like young enough when you were still cute or was that like when you were 13? Uh, I don't think it was cute ever when I said that to him, probably. Your, how was your dad? I, I actually, <laughs> this is so bad. I don't watch TV news, so... Like not as much. Like I just I read more than I than I uh, than I watch it. But so how's he doing with all this? Uh, he's good. They, um, you know, my mom's a teacher at USF, so she's been working from home. And Dad on the news, they just gave him every Friday a segment where he kind of gives. They call it Kate's Corner, which I love. Uh, yes. And kind of gives some perspective. So if you are in the Tampa Bay area, tune in WFLA TV uh, on Fridays, and he he does a little two minutes worth of perspective, which is new for him. It's not ever, anything anybody's ever asked him or allowed him to do. Um, you're such a, not just a, a connoisseur of the media. I mean, you're like a positive media critic. You're like the opposite of like an Eric Wemple and, or a Eric Deggins. You're a booster for the industry. Um, and so this is an easy question, but I, I'd like to hear what you think. How is the media doing right now? The Florida media, um, like, what are some highlights in your mind that have stood out? Uh, I mean, I would say, like, Lawrence Mahler uh, on the unemployment thing uh, with DeSantis. I think the uh, Marianne Klaus is obviously always, you know, on top of things and holding the powerful accountable. I think, largely speaking, the Tallahassee Press Corps still does a, a, a pretty good job with what they're given, which is not a lot of resources um, so I am a champion for them. There's other things where it's like, you know, I'm looking at, you know, things that are happening in government where it's like, it's so glaringly obvious and I don't know why this isn't an issue kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, like yesterday I was reading about, like, essentially there's going to be a man-made drought in South Florida and it's like, nobody's even paying attention to that. Nobody's writing about it. I saw a couple articles, so I won't say nobody, but it's like, in this day and age, like because of the way the media has worked and it's so diluted, you need a cascading kind of torrent of news coverage to move anything at all. Like one op-ed is not going to do anything for anybody. One article is not going to do anything for anybody. It has to be kind of a concerted effort. 
So I do think that because there's a little bit of lack of resources and so many wire type services, there isn't like this drumbeat of coverage. Like I know like during session, you had a lot of healthcare stuff, like kind of cascading through all of session. It's like, unless there's a drumbeat, you know, there's no song. And I do think that there's a little bit, if I had one criticism, it would be a lack of a, of a steady drumbeat when there is an injustice. Um, and there are many in Florida. Um, I wonder, like, you know, it's kind of funny, like the new service part, like it's so hard just to keep up with the blocking and tackling, um, you know, just the, the, well, this is how many deaths there are, or this is the unemployment system. Um, you know, like just like, I think about a Mary Ellen, um, who I, I actually thought was wrong in what she was doing. I think she took that whole situation with the governor's office personally. I didn't like that. She, um, and I think that this was actually the origin of her being excluded. Uh, I didn't like that. She was tweeting about the governor's, uh, or about the first lady, um, having the baby, uh, and kind of like, well, today is the day, and, and and there's some backstory about, and you can kind of read through the lines that that was not an easy delivery, um, and I just I, I think there was some karmatic issues with her on that one. That being said, I sympathize with her because it's like, so she's the Miami Herald bureau chief. Now that sounds like big if you got five other people working for you, but she's not. It's just it's Mary Ellen. And then Lawrence Bauer over at the Times, and they're supposed to cover everything coming out of Tallahassee for, you know, I think the Miami Herald's been doing excellent coverage. Like, as as you do, I read almost everything that comes out. And I will tell you, I think the Miami Herald is probably doing the best of all of the newspapers in the state right now. And they've, I think they've done the best for about three or four months at, at least, um, just because they're they're just owning that South Florida beat, which is so vibrant. Um, and so I sympathize with them. I don't know how, you know, like John Kennedy is supposed to fill, you know, a hole for, you know, 15 newspapers. Well, how many stories is John Kennedy going to write in a day? You know, two. I mean, so he writes he writes the one story. Governor said X. And then he writes a second story, some sort of color story. But that's all John Kennedy's going to you're going to get out of John Kennedy, not for better or worse. It's because he's. And he's a great reporter, but now he's got to go fill the Naples Daily News and uh, all these other papers. And there isn't any other coverage beyond that. And that's um, I guess that's what's, you know, most. Dis well, no, what's most disappointing. And this is uh, to a Tallahassee guy. The Tallahassee Democrat had on furlough this week, Jim Rossica and Jeff. Oh, I know, I know. And I uh, let me I'll defend my people in Tallahassee, but. Rossica was like the greatest thing that ever happened um, to them as far as acquiring new talent. Um, and I do think there are some people doing good work there, uh, both Jeff's included. Um, and I like their editor, William. Um, but having Rossica off like during the most critical time for reporting is just malpractice. Um, I'm actually, I, I say it and I know, I'm not looking for a, I'm not looking for a compliment. I will say this because it's so, this is the, also part of the challenge for folks. We're going on like month two of like round the clock coverage. If you think about the people that were focused on session, you know, like the last couple of weeks of session, presidential primary, which I know you were, you know, had you, you were working round the clock. 
But, you know, once you got into session, basically, in that first week out of the way, first couple of weeks out of the way, you know, Renzo Downey, he is off today. And I don't think that that kid has had a day off in since, I don't know, February 15th or something like that. Um, and it's the same thing for a lot of these folks that I, my team, every, you know, today I got to ask them, you know, who can work this weekend? Not because I need the clicks or whatever, but because shit, there's just going to be stories, you know, happening tomorrow. I mean, there's going to be news on Saturday. The governor is going to say something, you know, there's, you know, it, we're in a pandemic and it's, it is, it's hard going back to the well. I can't pay them anymore. I mean, I'm bonusing them. I get, I buy meals, et cetera. It's, there's nothing you can do uh, for people now because they're working seven. It's like they're working seven days a week and it's uh it is a challenge. So that's, um, you know, especially for it's the also, people. It's, it's also an opportunity, though, individual reporters and um, going all the way up into like nationally, you have reporters. The one that I, comes to my mind because I love him so much is like Shepard Smith during the Hurricane Katrina. Like there are moments for reporters and beats that can make you look at all the embed presidential reporters, um, you know, some of them are now, you know, even from the last few years have their own shows on television, um, on major cable networks. I do think that, that, that it is an opportunity to tell, um, stories in a way that not only people, but also propels a career or a news outlet or a news organization. Well, and like, so, I mean, our traffic was three and a half times, for the month of March, it was three and a half times what it had ever been during a busy month. So, like, we were doing three and a half, basically, like, usually October of an election year is our busiest month. Um, and we did three and a half times that in the last, and, and basically, that really only started to kick in, you know, March 11th, March 12th, um, you know, when the pandemic really became a national story or, you know, a global story and became what it was. Um, and then also... You know, I've said this to other people who've been on the pod, but I'll say it again. I and it's part of why, like I told my team, I'm like, you know, I took that 90 day challenge and I'm not furloughing anybody and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, I think that, you know, come July, come August, whatever media organizations are left standing or who, whatever reporters are left standing, there's going to be a I mean, that is a there's a strategic opportunity in that um, to the nth degree uh, going forward out of all of this. Um, so, all right, let me ask you, I'm glad we got, you know, this is supposed to be a 15 minute podcast. And so into minute 16, we're going to go to the questions that I ask everybody. Um, when did coronavirus get real for you? Um, my grandmother passed away. Um, and I think we got back, we flew up into Tennessee or funeral was in Tennessee. And I think, we flew back on like March 3rd or something like that. And it was certainly on my mind that we should. And I actually, for background for people, people don't know this. I've worked at three different state agencies. My first job at a state agency was on a pandemic influenza grant with the Florida Department of Health. So I'm pretty well versed in the calamity that happens when these kind of things go unchecked and are bad. And so we actually considered not flying, but you know, we did everything we could to make sure that we were safe uh, during that. And then uh, not to get into specifics, but very early on, one of my family members works in hospitality. 
um, and that person was laid off. And we actually just two and a half days Whitney ago. Whitney Ray? Got, Are you talking about Whitney Ray? <laughs> Whitney. Is, Whitney's a he's a bartender at, at TGI Fridays, right? <laughs> um, no. So we we just got through it a couple couple days ago through the unemployment system, but that's been a little rough. So that that was very early, you know, as soon as this was a thing um, that happened. So that would be my answer to that. Um, what was your last normal day? Uh, and I, I prefaced that this question with, you know, when I started asking people this, it was kind of interesting. You know, I, I started this podcast three weeks ago. Uh, we're, I think we're heading to episode 50, which is it's so cool, and I'm going to say this for other people that are listening. It's really cool the people that are calling or asking to be on now, not in a like self promotional way, but the the yearning for human contact kind of way, um, and that they are. I'm surprised that other people are listening, and you know, because it's not like there's news or anything here. We're just literally bullshitting about what you're doing in your pajamas. But people have, you know, we've had we just have had a lot of people ask to be on and like, just, you know, like Jared Moskowitz like called me last night or his staff did and said, Hey, Jared really wants to come on. I'm like, well, isn't he busy? He's like, yeah, but he wants to get his message out about what he's doing and his family. So, well, um, let's say this, it is an honor to be guest number 50 of the, of the I wasn't the 49th person you asked. <laughs> well, I said we were approaching 50, but that's okay. We'll, we'll make you guest number 50. Like I'll, I'll work the, I'll get some other ones in there. Um, what was the last normal day for you? Like, can you remember like, uh, what that looked like? I think the last time I went out to eat was with my parents and Bob Evans in Tennessee. And that was, you can imagine my family, Bob Evans, I'm sure it's not, not too much of a stretch. Uh, I think that was probably it. That is, uh, that I can see why you've embraced the pandemic so much. I mean, Bob Evans. Embrace the life. I, I mean, Bob Evans is that's that's tough eating. I mean, I would have, I don't know, I would have come up with a better story real quick. Um, yeah, tried their their colonial salad dressing is really delicious. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're eating Cracker Barrel. Uh, I'm a Cracker Barrel Bob Evans kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. So is Michelle. You should. I keep trying to order sushi and she won't let me. Um, okay, so and I I can. This is a dangerous question for you because you are literally like, like your brand is making excellent recommendations. Um, it really is. And I always, I kind of find them. You send me some, um, you and I could have a podcast just about our recommendations, you know, just like, here's what we're reading and we're telling you this. So we sound smart. Um, (laughs) what are, what are three things that you're, recommending right now that people watch or do download an app um, video game whatever but what are your three things that you're doing right now hunkering down uh that you uh, think other people might enjoy oh i don't know what people enjoy um <laughs> i can tell you i'm reading right now which sounds as pretentious as you said that it was going to sound uh is quintillion oh, uh who I know, I know. It's literally Jesus, 40 years after Jesus or something. And um, But he wrote this book called The Orator's Education, and it's all about speaking kind of more in a lawyerly way, but it's all about rhetoric. And I read about it because I read about it in this other book and found this translation of it. And 
he essentially he he was writing it for his son. His son and a few books into it. It's like his sense of like taking everything that he learned from Cicero and all these other great orators and putting this book and making this be his inheritance to his son. Um, and I literally just got to the part where he kind of acknowledges that his son is dead uh, in the books. But there's like 12 or so books that he wrote on rhetoric. And that's really great. Um, on a lighter note, we're rewatching some Parks and Rec, which, you know, is always recommended. That's a great series to watch. One of my favorite lines uh, in an episode the other day when the constituents were yelling at Leslie Nope, she said that they were just caring very loudly, which <laughs> is always good perspective. Um, and then we're playing with the kids Blackjack 21. It's really good for math and helping them control their emotions and understand the odds of things and risks and rewards and consequences. You know, we had uh, Stepanovich on, so nobody's going to outdo, you know, him on his, um, you know, his book recommendations. You know, it's like the lost, you know, chapters of Cato. Um, that, <laughs> uh, that Elder, he's, Elder Cato or Cato the Younger? Yeah, and he like, but here's the thing. It's, it's, it's translated back into the original Greek, and then Mac will learn Greek so that he can read it. Um, and you're just like, oh, for fuck's sake, just uh, <laughs> just read uh, a John Grisham book or something like that. Um, all right, buddy. Well, let me, let me share. Let me find it real quick, because the Contillion book, like it does, like I tweeted this the other day. Nobody gave a crap about it, nor should they. But let me just say it, because it's totally relevant to Donald Trump and today. Um, and it basically says it is very he says it's very easy to command an honorable course to honorable men. But if we try to ensure the right action from persons of bad character, a.k.a. Donald Trump, we must take care not to seem to be criticizing their very different way of life, but must try to affect the hearer's attitude by appealing not to honor in itself, for which he has no regard, but to praise public opinion. And if these vanities are ineffectual, the future advantages are even more by pointing out some frightening consequence of taking the opposite course. For apart from the fact that the minds of the unprincipled are very easily frightened, it is perhaps natural that the fear of evil should weigh more with most people than the hope of good, just as they find it easier to understand the shameful than the honorable. That's, that's Bravo, that. sir. Bravo. <laughs> that's how the doctors and epidemiologists should be speaking with Donald Trump. Um, God, I'm hoping that Skype captured all of that. Um, <laughs> On that note, I don't. Even, I mean, this is like a Costanza moment. I'm just going to get out while the the getting is good. That's great. <laughs> that's great content to end right there. All right, buddy. Um, okay. I get say take care of your family. Uh, give them my best, and we will. Um, I'll be in touch soon. You got it. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.